Welcome back, Rebels. Do you remember when we first started doing this podcast, how bloody shit scared we were? I do remember. I remember I was so scared that I wasn't even a part of it. I just sat to the side and watched you do the first episode <laughs> in front of me. Yeah, that's right. It's so funny, isn't it? Like, like I, I had totally forgotten that. But yeah, you were you were barely, barely part of it. And I was just, my voice was bloody cracking through the, through the nerves of it all. And how do you feel about it now? Like, is there, do you have any trepidation? No, not at all. I think like it's now we're so used to it. Like I was talking to someone about this the other day, how I was like, oh, we interviewed the founder of Netflix the other day. And I'm like, oh my God, how was that? Were you like really nervous? And I was like, not at all. Not at all. Like literally I was like, I can't think of anyone now who would come on where I'd be like, oh my God, I'm so panicking to talk to this person. Like we interviewed Seth Godin as well. Someone who I would like, when we first started this show, I was like, if we can ever get Seth Godin on the show, we've bloody smashed it like that's like an absolute goal uh, but then to talk to him just felt so chill i was like this is this is great it's just like talking to another person and i suppose it's that it's that thing of like just doing it enough times that you realize actually this isn't as scary as i thought it would be because if you if we'd have interviewed seth godin two and a half years ago oh my god i'd have been absolutely shaking um i'd have probably stumbled on my words loads it would have just been like a nightmare yeah, I, I think you've actually described much better. I, it, I've been beating myself up over it. The intro that we did a couple of weeks ago where I was talking about we're not special, don't put us on a pedestal. I think there you've summarised what I was trying to get across is that like, what we've been doing is putting guests on a pedestal and until we've been around enough high-level people now that it's just normal and you don't do that yeah. anymore. And I feel like you can have so much of a better conversation with someone once they're not on that pedestal. Um, I actually have like planned things of what I'm going to say to certain people when I meet them that are not around the thing that I that they do because that's what they hear from everyone else. And it, I, I think to if you meet, I'm just going to name a rat. If you meet Brad Pitt, then everyone's going to go, oh, I loved you in Fight Club or XYZ yeah. movie. But if you go to Brad Pitt and go, I don't know, what, what was your favourite childhood cartoon? He's going to go, fuck well he's gonna firstly he's gonna picture that cartoon and he's gonna think and you're gonna have a fun conversation about cartoons which is how refreshing for him than to have to talk about whatever movie he's been in or whatever that he always gets yeah. asked yeah that's something that um i met a youtube creator called craig adams once and that's one thing that he told me is he always has something in his head for anyone he want, might want to meet because you've got to think like first impressions like they do really count so if your first impression is going in at like a lower status level of like oh i put this person on this pedestal and they can tell there's definitely like a different interaction that happens when someone comes up to you and asks you a question that seems like it's a your level question rather than something that is just like a, oh my god you're the best thing ever because it's like because that doesn't then that as soon as you say that then that person's going to think less of you they're going to think that you're kind of lower in status than they are because of the way you've approached them whereas actually if you approach someone really confidently it's such a different interaction that means that that person could then go and become your friend or a different relationship could form from that compared to just this like oh my god i love you because i um i remember there's this artist that i really like who uh, had like a new single new album out and he put on like a little event in a place in like in london and if you went to that you'd get a free signed copy of the record as well which was like oh that's really cool it wasn't that expensive uh, and i was like oh that'd be a, a cool little evening um, but then when it kind of came to the signing, I remember just being like, you're really good tonight. 
And I was like, I could have had such a more interesting conversation. And my friend who was in the queue um, with me, like he was, I think he was just behind me. So I kind of like absolutely fluffed it with like a, oh, you're really great. Uh, and then he asked something that was a really interesting thing. Like, I think he said, oh, I'd seen you at this place at this time. Um, and then had some like interesting little thing to say about it. And then those two got into a conversation and I was like, oh, I've really missed an opportunity mm. there to try and build a relationship with someone who I respect. And now I think, yeah, going forward, I think your your mentality of having those questions in advance just will make such a difference. Yeah, I mean, probably don't ask them what their favourite cartoon was. I mean, that was, I was just spitballing there. But like, but yeah, asking... But then if you've got a podcast on cartoons, that could be a really good way mm. to intro into the fact that you've got this other thing. Because if, if he was like, oh my God, no one's ever asked me this. Oh, I love cartoons. This is my favourite cartoon. And just went onward and you saw the passion in him. If you then follow up with, oh, I've actually got a podcast on cartoons, there's a good chance he might be like, oh, get me on it. Yeah. Like, because yeah. that might happen because that's happened before to us where people have been like, you get them interested in something, then mention you've got a podcast and they're like, oh, I'd love to come on. So it's like, yeah, it's almost like queuing the thing that you actually want to ask with something that is going to be interesting to them. Absolutely. It's all, it's all about standing out from the crowd. Um, because and and that goes with everything like everything you're trying to do whatever your business is however you're trying to market it standing out from the crowd if you do the same behaviors as everyone else you get the same results and that's it, it's so clear to see and and I think we we see it on people's Instagram feeds we see it we see it all over the internet of it worked in the beginning it became a template and now everyone does it so it doesn't work anymore so you've got to switch it up you've got to try something new um, and and so much of that is going to come down to what I originally was talking about which is fear it's trying something new is fucking scary it can be so scary yeah it's and i think it because it is new because it is different and we don't know how, what the outcome is going to be i think as soon as that's i think that's where all the risk lies it's kind of having that like a thought of how this could be awful in the future rather than thinking about like what it is currently right now because fear is just a natural it's the way that our bodies work it's just there to keep us safe it's just a mechanism that our body has to keep us safe to stop us dying but on a more primal level as in we're kind of cavemen and there's things that are around us that are going to kill us at all different moments there's going to be things we could eat which could be dangerous there's going to be things that could eat us or chase us or like we're going to run out of water like all of these different things that for our ancestors would have been really important but for us it's a mechanism that like of course we're not designed to be scared in front of a camera like that's not what our bodies have been designed for <laughs> yeah um but it's a fear that we generally have and i think so much of that as well comes down to this fear of well if we do this then someone's going to think we're stupid someone's going to kind of reject us from the group and psychologically that's one of the worst things that could possibly happen to us because by being kicked out of our kind of primal kind of ancestral group then that's gonna mean we're on our own and then we're probably going to die because we don't have this group around us. Yeah, there's there's this tweet that me and Yona quite, like keep referencing at the moment. That's that's really funny. And and uh, someone tweeted out, I, "I wish I had the confidence of a mediocre white man." Um, so I I always try and not become that mediocre white man. Like I I I think because I came from such an un, underconfident place, and and when we first met it's well documented like at my kind of scarcity mindset and, and worrying about everything and and the fear the just the pure fear that had been we talked about it a lot in when you interviewed me in my episode and 
basically like that was me kind of working out where all that fear came from and it was just like instilled in me through culture and years of being told what wasn't possible um and now that i'm getting so much more confident and gradually starting to believe that really anything is possible um i'm, I'm still always trying to not be the mediocre white man but um what but balancing that with no actually I have achieved a lot and I can achieve so much more. And the thing that I've been thinking about recently is I'm going to name it success stacking. Um, and I think what people should do is because this is something that I have never done. And, and Emma Gannon brought it up to me about how good you are with it of marking your successes. And it's something that I rarely do. I, I'm sort of always moving on to the next thing because really like all there is, is the next thing. I mean, our life is a series of events and, and, if we just stopped at one thing, then what do we do for the rest of our life? It is always about the next thing. But trying to reflect on those successes. And I think if if when I was younger, I had been success stacking. So basically taking note of, oh, that worked. So that gives me more confidence going into this new and different thing. But I still had a win on the other thing. So let's stack that on top. And the more that I can, and like now, if I think about success stacking, I think I've got this fucking huge stack so far. So everything now is is easy like i can i can stack on top of that um whereas if and things would have happened so much quicker for me if i'd realized that earlier on yeah i, I really like the idea of success stacking i suppose you can always think of it as well as like how many times have you gone into something that you fear and succeeded and then i think it just breaks down what actual fear is and you stop fearing the fear i suppose uh, or you stop fearing what could happen and i think but what, what is interesting about the stacking element of it is the fact that to stack something, you have to actually do it. It's like you can't just, in your mind, be like, cool, uh, yeah, all these things, imaginary, all these things happened. You have to actually go and do those things. You have to build that up. And I think it, I think in terms of like listening to things that give you motivation, it's that's that needs to be the start of your stack. That needs to be the first thing that you put down. But it's going to come down to you to actually stack keep stacking and keep building those successes keep going into things that scare you and then keep adding those up and then as soon as you realize that actually i've got quite a big tower here then it's a, just a matter of like looking back to as soon as you feel scared about something looking back to this tower and being like look actually before i've done all of these things and they've worked and i think yeah if you even like just wrote down every success you had in a book mm. and then if you are feeling like oh i don't know whether i should do this pick up the book and just read through it because if you just did like one thing a day in a year you're going to have so many things in that book and it's like you you kind of you forget over time how many wins you actually do have and having something that is there whether that's just in your mind of thinking like okay well actually I can reflect back on all these different things I've done but if you don't have the kind of mind that can visualize that then have a physical version of it have something that's written down that says all of the wins you've had I think that's where like things like gratitude journals and things like that can work mm. so well but with those, it's like great to just write them down every day, but it's so worth going flicking back through them because it's, it's that that's really gonna give you the confidence of yes, this is a great thing happened yesterday, but then what happened the day before? And if you, the longer you do that, the more you've got to look back on and realize actually I can do this. So to a certain segment of our audience, uh, our next guest is going to need no introduction. Uh, if, if this is a, a new person that you've not heard of Tyler Babin before, I mean, this is a person who, when we talk about overcoming fears and just like throwing themselves into things, 
I mean, this guy, if like this guy will just move to a new city, knowing no one, he'll just throw himself into it. Um, and it, there's clear evidence that, I mean, he's a young guy. The success that he's seen um, in his career so far is like absolutely huge. And I think it all comes from taking those big chances, taking those big risks. And I'm not sure whether he said it to us or in another podcast that I listened to with him on, but where, but he says that um, what's what's the worst that can happen if I if I fail in this city, I'll just move back, which is a lovely a- attitude to take. Yeah, it was so great to talk to Babin, and I think when you come across people who are like Babin, and if you like this show and you like these intros. I can't tell you how much you'll love this episode. When we came off it, it was it was like we're like that was like a full intro. Like we're so aligned on so many things. So if you love this show, you'll absolutely love this episode. Hi, Babin. Hey guys, I'm uh, I'm stoked to be here. So good to have you here, dude. Uh, how are you doing? Life is good. Life is good, but life is has changed a lot. You guys are catching me at a uh, a really interesting point in my life where uh, literally just a couple months ago if we were having this conversation, basically everything in my life would be completely different. I'd be living in a different place. I'd be doing different work. Um, everything is is changing very quickly. But uh, I also, I often think that's like where the most growth can come from of that, like getting out of your comfort zone. So life is good, but I, I just moved from the West Coast back back home to the East Coast. So I'm just outside of New York City again, working on a whole bunch of, of new creative things. And, uh, Th- things are good. Things are good. Like there's there's happiness in the chaos. It's interesting because I've kind of like watched your career on YouTube like over the past few years and I feel like you're constantly going through change. I feel like you've been through so many different iterations of your journey within what seems like such a short space of time. When you see other people who may have been in the same city for years, it does seem like you've kind of really grown, evolved and moved around and you've lived kind of on the edge of your comfort zone the whole time. You haven't just settled. My, I guess my kind of like motto with life is I just try to lean into whatever opportunities are presenting themselves at that moment. So um, I, I think a lot of times people will, will, will look at it as like not focused maybe or like doing too much too quickly because you're right. I mean, it was just over five years ago when I left like my hometown, moved to New York for my first internship. And there's been a lot of iterations and a lot of different jobs that have happened in that short period of time. But I think that uh, being willing to kind of like lean into that, that, you know, outside of your comfort zone and embrace those like dramatic quick changes is what allows uh, a lot of progress to happen in a very short period of time versus uh, taking more of like a slow burn approach and being like, okay, I'm going to go to this city and I'm going to get this job and I'm going to stay there for a decade while I build something here. Um, I try to lean more into like, you know what, I'm just going to go as quickly as I can. And if all of a sudden the path I'm on takes a dramatic left-hand turn into a different city or a new job or a new opportunity, I'm just going to try and trust the process that, process that that is where the universe wants me to be right now and just go full speed into that direction as I walk around at weekends as I'm just kind of like exploring London. The way I approach it is I don't have a destination of where I want to get to. I just walk down streets and every junction I come to, I'm like, which one looks nicer out of those two? And then take that route. And I feel like that kind of seems to be what you're doing with your career so far. It's almost like you come to so many junctions, but just quickly make that decision and then just head in the direction without an absolute destination in mind. That's kind of how it seems. Or do you have somewhere in your mind of like, this is where I want to be 
in the future and you're always heading towards that? It's a weird answer because I certainly have goals and things I want to accomplish. And I know that there, there's a certain destination I'm, I'm chasing or going after. Um, but it's, it's tough for me to look at it. Like if I sat down and tried to map out the next 20 years of my career, it would probably be impossible, right? I think that'd be impossible for anyone. And so, uh, I try to make strategic decisions, but allow for that spontaneity to happen. And so, you know, in, in the sense that a lot of good things have come from that, also a lot of negative things have come from that. It makes consistency very difficult, right? I feel like there, it was funny because right before I moved back to the East Coast, I had like started a new project. I was like, all right, uh, this podcast is going to be my new podcast and it's going to be this like daily documentation of my brain. And then I haven't touched it in two months now because everything else changed. Like one of those turns came and, and happened. Um, so I just try not to to beat myself up if if the directions kind of go up and down or take unexpected turns, uh, because I think that uh, you, you never know what what's going to come down one of those unexpected turns. Like maybe you you take a turn when you weren't thinking you were going to, and then all of a sudden you slingshot twenty years into the future. You know, it's so much can happen, and so I just try to embrace. Uh, whatever whatever lands in my lap at any particular time and just sort of trust that that's the direction I should go. I think for me, I've, I've got the final destination in mind, but I know that there's going to be a number of different paths that present themselves and you're going to end up at the destination in the end, but there's just, there's multiple paths to take. Uh, and I think what you said about not beating yourself up, about sort of abandoning something, I think is really important because the sunk cost fallacy is very real people put time and effort into something and they feel like I have to see this through. Um, but sometimes you have to know this is not, this is not giving me what I need, what it needs to give me. I've, I've, and this, this other opportunity potentially might. So let's explore this one. Life and especially a, a creative life doesn't have to be linear, right? Like things don't, it doesn't have to stack in a certain order. You can always go back and, and revisit projects that you've left at other times. Uh, if, if that project isn't right for you at this moment, you know, I think that I think sometimes people are so terrified of making a wrong decision that they get that like they're petrified of making any decisions at all. And my thing, I'm actually I'm working on like a script right now for a video and it's the working title of something is going to be like, I've learned how to do everything wrong so that I can just learn how to do a couple things right. And I feel like that's kind of like what my my career has been, right? Like I've messed up so many times. I've abandoned so many projects that probably would have led to great work and great progress and all of that. And just being okay with that, saying, you know what? It's cool. When the time is right for myself, I will go back and I will finish that project or I will do it. I will give it the attention it deserves. But uh, I just have to to go the way that the universe is pushing me right now. It's really interesting. So it's almost like, just fuck up fast, fuck up as fast as you can. So you learn yeah, how, yeah. To, how to deal with that failure. And I think that's because it's interesting. I work with quite a few like different like performers and people who are like models and people who from a young age go into like auditions and things and constantly hit failure. And I was like, I'm kind of jealous of the fact that you get to go through that so young. Obviously they're in a, in a stage where they're like, oh, this is awful. I'm competing against all these people, but learning and kind of like growing up and learning how to fail and how to react to that and then being able to put that into what you go going forward, it's almost like you get it all out of the way as quick as possible, so you kind of set yourself up for the future. Dude, the number of guests that we've had that have, have had um, call center jobs, 
where they're cold calling people and they're getting the phone put down on them or they're ringing on people's doorbells and they're getting the front door shut in their face. It, it would be really interesting for us to actually map how many in their younger years worked those jobs because there's a number that I can think of off the top of my head. Harry Mack, for example, work, it worked yeah. in a call centre and I'm sure that that translates through to, to hearing those no's often translates to future success. Absolutely. The, uh, so the, the job that I moved back for was the creative director for Hassan Minaj, who's he's an actor and a comedian here in the States. And we've been traveling together while he's working out his new act. And I've been like cool. documenting that process, working on like a large documentary. And this thing that he constantly tells me is even in his career where he's very established is the only way for him to make progress at this point is to publicly fail in front of people. Is that he goes out to these comedy clubs and tries different jokes out and he has to fail to figure out what is actually working and what is not working. And so in a world that I think so much of us are terrified of failure and like we look at failure as this huge like red cross on on us and our resumes and like what we're building, uh, looking at, at failures is just a stepping stone of like the only way to get where you want to be is to go through an enormous amount of failure and that, that each failure you're probably going to forget about in a month, two months, three months allows you to just move much, much faster and not get hung up and dwell. If you like, you make one fuck up and then you spend six months thinking about that one mistake, it's just, it's a waste of time whenever we, when this life is so finite, you know? What advice would you give to people who are thinking, because like we said earlier, like you've, you've done the big moves, like moving to, to new cities where I'm guessing you probably didn't know many people. What advice, because I think it's a skill actually, um, Take, like having having the balls to say yes to things what advice would you give to people that are are maybe on the on the edge of, of making like a big decision or a big change um i mean i always go back to kind of like what i said of, of life not being linear like you know it was less than a year ago is when i moved from new york to oregon right and i kept telling myself it's fine if it doesn't work out because if it doesn't work out or something i'll just move back and that ended up playing itself out. Nine months later, I broke my lease. I moved back to, to New York, right? And there were opportunities that came up. It just wasn't the place I wanted to be. The thing is that there are very, very few things that we encounter that I think there isn't like an undo button mm -hmm. for. Very, very few. And so to me, the idea of getting hung up too much on a big decision that for the most part is probably reversible if you don't like the decision you made sort of takes away a lot of that fear for me of, you know what, if if I leave this job for another job and it doesn't work out, I can probably either go back to the other job or find another job that was similar. If I move to a city and I don't like it, I'll go back to a city I do like or I'll try a different city out. The this idea that we have to make a decision and then we are we are handcuffed to that decision forever, I think is 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 something that is not necessary for so many people. We can always like undo things. And so um, I think that I always kind of push people in the direction of like lean into that, that fear, that uncertainty, because you can either undo it or, you know, the worst case scenario, you're just going to learn from it in yeah. some way. You're going to learn, okay, I definitely don't like that job. So let me find the job I do like, you know, and it just kind of, it's this ever evolving process of becoming the person we want and, and having the life that we want to live. And I think as a creative as well, it's important to do things that are slightly different to what everyone else is doing. Because like moving to Portland for you isn't the path of probably what most people who started a career in New York City are going to stay and do. 
but it's like the experience you'd have got from being there even if it's just you're now slightly better at take, taking pictures of landscapes and you can now bring that back into that will somehow impact what you do in the future and other people are in the city who decided to stay there won't have that so it's kind of building I suppose it's making you more unique as you grow and it's always kind of by putting yourself in these different situations that aren't what you expect to be in or you expected yourself to be in you end up building a, a future version of yourself which is more creative in different ways because you've put yourself outside of your comfort zone yeah absolutely i mean i can only imagine even though you're totally right it it is going from a, like the, one of the biggest cities in the world to a relatively small city to so many people seemed very backwards but to to the point you just said like for me it added so many new layers to like who I am as a person and it gave me so many new experiences and like you you hit the nail right on the head is to like I was never interested in photographing landscapes or nature or anything like that when I lived in New York right it's urban jungle it's urban jungle it's just cityscape everywhere you know kind of like similar to (laughs) exactly similar to like the London vibe and all of a sudden I, I went to Oregon and was like wow there's mountains here let's go take pictures of those you know and it gave me so many new ways that from a technical perspective, like the way I'm looking at storytelling from the way I can build out compositions, like all of that stuff matters. And that is, those are experiences that I wouldn't have. And I wouldn't be as developed as an artist now as what I was a year ago, whenever I had, if I had just stayed in New York. I, I mean, you mentioned storytelling there. And, and I suppose one of the key factors of storytelling is change. And we start at point A, we get to point B and in the middle, there is something that changes. And that that kind of links back to what we were talking about in that everyone who's had a big life event something has changed beforehand there's like everything great always happens after a change so it's like the more changes you can you can present yourself the more potential opportunities are going to arise absolutely i think like change is a good way and then the other thing like the the single thing that makes a story interesting is conflict right and, and conflict doesn't have to be like actual, like our traditional definition of conflict. But imagine the story of someone who, like, let's say someone wants to be an actor and they move from their small town to Hollywood. And the first day there, they land an A-list movie and then they're just rich and famous and they have the best career ever. That's, that's actually a really uninteresting <laughs> story. You want the conflict, right? You want to know that they were actually working at a cafe like, you know, a hundred hours a week and they were like practicing their lines because they, in the dark, because they couldn't afford electricity. Like you want conflict. We all like conflict is the the thing that makes a story interesting. And so kind of like this full circle moment of getting back to the failure, to the struggles, to the pain of things, like all of those pieces are, are critically important to telling a good story. And if you're like writing the story of your life, right? Like you have to lean into that conflict every opportunity that you get. Yeah, that's super powerful because I think, yeah, if you think about, yeah, your life as a story, I think that's such a way, great way to think about it. And like, do you want by the end of it to have had an interesting story or one that is just mediocre? So I think, yeah, forcing conflict to make your own life more interesting is just, yeah, it's the one. If there's anything anyone takes from this this episode of the podcast, like think about your life as a story and what, how do you want that story to play out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Tyler, can we um, talk about your two tattoos that you have? For sure. Um, so this one over here is the process, which I got um, the 
it was like the one year anniversary of when I moved to New York. And um, it was for me a reminder that I, I am at my happiest when I am in pursuit of something versus when I achieve whatever the pursuit was an effort to, to achieve. Right. Um, and like the, the, the tactile or like actual definition of like where the idea came from is that, um, I, when I had moved to New York, I had set out this like list of goals and things I wanted to accomplish. And in about the first year I had checked a lot of those things off the list and I realized I wasn't as happy as what I was six months ago when I was like fighting for it super, super hard. Um, and so that's a constant reminder for me is that I, even to this day, even with like the, all the experiences and everything, I will still be like, everything's going to be great once I do this thing. And then it's for me is that reminder of like, no, you don't have to get this thing. Like right now, the point you're at right now, this this grind, this like you're fighting for something is actually the thing that you enjoy the most. And it's tough because when you're in that, that like sludge phase of like you're working at something every single day, you're trying to accomplish it. You're like, damn it. I just want this to be over. I just want, I want the fruits of my labor. Right. And so that, that's kind of the core of the process. And then, uh, the other one is memento mori, which is Latin for, uh, remember your death. And that one is, uh, for one, I, I got it on a trip to Costa Rica with a handful of my friends um, where I we had like I had been thinking about getting the tattoo. And then on that trip over the course of four days, I had like three or four near death experiences. Um, and so at the, at the last day of the trip, I was like, you know what? I think it's time. I'm going to get the, the moon to Mori. Uh, but that for me and I think anyone, if this is your first time hearing about me, just like in the conversation we've had so far, I talk a lot about sort of like purpose and life and. Uh, just remembering like I have a strange relationship with death, but it's just that I think people don't recognize uh, the opportunity of this life and that like you only sort of get like one real shot at it. It's very, it's a very temporary experience that we get to live. Um, and so those are kind of the two reminders for me is memento mori and, and the process and everything for me is like the process to the end of my life. And so I want to do as much as I can and like live to the, the fullest that I can uh, with the time I have here. I love that. It's so it's so powerful, and especially memento mori, because if we are if we are writing a story, we don't unfortunately get to to pen the end. Uh, we can that like that could come tomorrow, or it could come in fifty years time. We we we're, we're not privy to that information. So uh, again, yeah, it just goes back to how important it is to be t taking these these opportunities and these these risks that are seemingly like risks, but it's 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 more risky to actually not try the shit that you're wondering because i think uh, a life of regret is the i mean there's there's really nothing worse than a life of regret and um i've definitely seen that and experienced that and it's something that i'm always trying to tell myself to remember is like we yeah we've only got one shot because we don't remember that do we we like you get into your grind and and you get into your process and and like things are clicking along and everything's going along but it's not like I it's not like I wake up every morning and remind myself of that it takes a big event or losing someone or reading something about on the news that that actually hammers that home that like no time is is precious and so for me it's it's finding finding what I love to do and spending the most time possible doing that yeah I uh a few weeks ago it posted I I got this uh 
this piece of art in my office um and it's a poster called weeks of my life mm. and it's weeks of my life is, is a is a startup brand out of california and you basically uh put in your birthday and then they print out this giant uh poster with like blank squares and every week that goes by you fill one up and basically the poster gives you every week of a of a 90 year life right which is like if everything goes great you live to 90 that's every week of your life and I posted a, a photo of it on like my, my Instagram story and so many people responded and they were like, that's so cool, but it would give me terrible anxiety. And I was like, if that's giving you anxiety, it's probably going to really fuck with your head when you realize it's true, <laughs> yeah. right? Like it, it's actually real. Um, and, and for me, I mean, maybe that's crazy that I want a countdown of, or like this constant reminder, but like to, to your point, we, we forget about it. You know, like you, you get in like, all right, I got it after this call, I have another call and then I have to send an email about the meeting next week. And like the last thing on your mind is the fact that like it actually could all end tomorrow. And we say that a lot. You hear tons of people say that, like treat every day like it's your last and all that stuff. But when you really sit in that for a minute and you're like, wow, like how would the world progress if, if tomorrow I was no more? And that can be dark and that can be anxiety inducing, but it's true. And, and so it, I think like, you've got to have a good relationship with that. You know, you have to, and when I say a good relationship with it, I mean like you as a human need to understand that whether you like it or not, it's coming, you know? And so like, you've got to, you've got to take advantage of, of the time. And that doesn't mean like, I, sometimes I get on these rants and I feel like people are saying, uh, or, or thinking that I'm encouraging this, like, just work 24-7 and, and get all this stuff done. And that's not what it is at all, but it's live every day that, to what you want it to be. And if that means, like, you just want to, like, sit and binge watch Netflix, like, I do that all the time. Like, I don't know, like, next week my girlfriend and I are going to sit down and probably watch some, like, trashy TV show, like, nine hours straight. I'm fine with that, as long as I know that that is something that is making me happy and I want that to be a, a Lego brick of my life, right? Like that's just important to me. And so it's, you know, I never want to like, I don't want anyone to be like, oh, he's just saying like, hustle your face off. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying like, live every day to the absolute happiest that you can, because that's like the only way I think that makes like a successful life. And I suppose as well, that brings both tattoos into a really nice link because it's like by remembering kind of when you're going to die, that's like, if your story is going to end at any point, then let's make sure that no matter what point it ends, it's going to end doing something that's good rather than ending on a complete like downer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think kind of to the point of like the, there's nothing worse than like a life of regret, you know, you never want to reach that, that ending point. And like, let's say you do get to, to pin the end of your life. Like you don't want to look back and be like, damn, there's so many things I wish I would have done, but I just sat in bed and like watched TikToks all day. <laughs> you know, like it's just, you got to find that balance for yourself. Yeah, I think that might be going on my gravestone. He watched a lot of TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think what, what kind of hits me about it as well, and this is maybe, maybe I'll get cancelled for this, but I, it also makes me like not really want to hear any excuses because when people say like, oh, it's it's too late for me or I missed the boat on this or that and and they're sort of resigned to, to give up or or like the algorithm has changed or whatever, whatever stuff people are coming up with. It's like, no, man, work it out. Like maybe you didn't actually want it. The thing that you were like, like work out what you actually want, because so many people are like, 
oh, I really wanted to do this thing, but now I can't. And it's like, well, did you really want to do it? Because if you really want to do it and you've got one life and you are going to die, then fucking work it out. Work it out, mate. This is where where the process, like the actual words, the process and loving the process matters. Because if you if you genuinely fall in love with the process versus what you think you will get at the end of it, doesn't matter when you start. Like if you decide at 85 years old you want to be a YouTuber and you like prop a camera up and start talking to a camera, you should love every second of it. You know, like it takes away that idea because because then the flip side, if that isn't exciting to you, means you don't actually want to do the thing. You just think that at the end of the thing, you're going to get something that you like. Um, and that's just you'll never actually be happy with with the end result if you don't love the process of getting there. Yeah, because I think like that comes down to especially when people are kind of like complain about an algorithm that that basically is someone just saying well it's not easy anymore so i don't want to try and do yeah. it and yeah and it's like well then again it's like when you're obviously just aiming for, you want a quick kind of hack to the end result but then it's like when you're going to get there and you're going to be like well i've got this now what and then you've got the whole rest of your life after you've got that so it's like yeah it all, i suppose it all wraps nicely into like the process but yeah it's not going to be easy and if it is easy is it really worth having? I, it was funny. It reminded me, I, I think like a couple months ago, I got this DM on Instagram and someone was like, uh, they wanted me to like do a portfolio critique on their Instagram. And they were like, would love to kind of just like hear what you, what you think and like what I can do to grow my following. Like I kind of struggle with like wanting to go out and shoot photos, but like I really want to grow the audience. And I was like, uh, that doesn't make sense. Like you want to grow you want to grow your Instagram so that you have a lot of followers, but you yourself are not interested in going out and shooting photos. I was like, even if you grow your account to the biggest Instagram in the world, if you hate going out and taking pictures, you're just going to be miserable. Yeah. Like, you know, like, so like defining versus the other side, like if you just love photography, just go shoot photos. That should give you the thing you want, right? And, like, that's where you got to, like, people have to, you know, be really honest with themselves. It's like, do you really, really love this thing? Do you love making art? Or do you just want a lot of people to, like, scream your name and be like, you're great at this? You know, finding that balance. And it's okay if the, if, if the answer is you don't actually like photography, that's fine. That's good because then you've checked off that box of, like, I don't like doing this thing. Let's go find something I like doing. You know, find the thing that, that you love doing. And then that way, whether whether the, the the fruits of that labor come or not, you'll be happy. And I think what you said there, like, it's the key word there is find what you like doing. Because that's it, isn't it? It's like we look at people online and like, oh, well, I would love to have their life. So that means I've got to do the exact same thing that they do to enjoy my life. But that's them. That's not you. It's like ask yourself what you yeah. actually want to do. Because it's a good chance that the people you look up to and admire that's not actually the future you want. It's just what you think you might want. And actually, as soon as you actually start putting the effort into trying to accomplish that, then yeah, you realize, oh, I actually don't like photography. So maybe that's not the route that I need to take. Maybe I need to find my own path. Yeah, I think that's where, where people also have to really adjust how much content they're consuming. Because it's easy to look at everyone's highlight reel right now when like we're all putting our highlight reels out we're all saying look how awesome our life is i can look at everyone and be like it'd be cool to have their life you know like it's it, in that like it, i think it messes with us especially like younger people as they're growing up and like trying to find their their path it's 
difficult to look yourself in the mirror whenever it's easier to just look online and see what everyone else is doing and then, you know, try and absorb that personality. And so it's kind of like if if you don't know what – if you don't actually know what the thing is you're chasing, like you should just turn your phone off, turn the computer off for like a week, two weeks, a month. Stop looking at what everyone else is doing and just have like real honest conversations with yourself. I have to do that regularly too. You know, I think it's easy to look at anyone who maybe has like a little bit of a more established career and say like, ah, oh, they've got it all figured out. I do it too. I can't watch Peter McKinnon's videos anymore. Peter's a friend of mine. I love him. He's, he's the best ever. I don't watch his videos anymore because I know that like I will look at him and be like, ah, oh, I should make videos like Pete's doing because Pete's life looks awesome. And it's like, I, I don't want to make videos like Pete. I want to make videos like like the way I want to make videos, you know? And so it's one of those things that you have to constantly check yourself on, on these things. It's not like you just make the decision and then you're, you're set for life. Like it's, it's a process, right? To like bring it all back. Like I, you know, you, you're constantly going to have to remind yourself and like revisit these things uh, over and over again. And it's one thing I heard you say as well about how you've stopped consuming so much stuff and just started spending more time creating. Like in my perfect world, and I think that the, the perfect world of many like artists, you should create more than you consume, which is really hard to do. Think about that, right? Think about the idea of like how much, not only how much we consume, but how much we consume on autopilot at this point. Because I know that like I instinctively and so many people will just like pick up our phone and then we are just like blasted with so much content all the time. And so to think that I want to get to a place where I am making more than what I am consuming in my brain is something that... Whether or not it's actually true, like if that's actually happening, because I'm sure it's not, like I'm sure I'm still consuming more than I'm creating, I at least want that mindset so that that will be a reminder for me to like put the phone down, for me to click off YouTube and like get back to the thing that I need to focus on. Um, and in so many people, I think would be happier doing that. Like if they are like true artists, right? Because we, we all know what it feels like to press publish, right? Like pressing publish on your own thing always feels better than pressing play on someone else's piece of work. So you have to focus on that. Like I want to press publish more than I want to press, press play, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Like, and that's just kind of something I'm always kind of chasing. Um, and because it'll make you'll you'll get more in line with who you are as a creative right kind of like the thing i'm saying about like i can't watch peter's videos anymore because i think that if i watch them my, like i subconsciously will start making decisions the way pete makes decisions in his videos and i don't want to do that now that's the wrong thing i just i will never achieve what i want to achieve if i'm only emulating other artists right like i have to like pick and choose the things i want and then create my like my original voice or as close to original as I can get. I kind of don't think, I think originality is very difficult to fully achieve at this point. Um, but I want to get as close to a fully original voice that I can. You're listening to Creative Rebels, the podcast for creatives. If you're enjoying this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing this podcast in any way that you can. I think going to a really practical thing based on what you just said there, it's like if everyone checks their screen time, like if everyone like everyone listening to this now give yourself a little task for like today this week or something of like check your screen time and then make note as well as how much time you have spent creating because if those two don't match up like i can tell you where you can get some time back it's by cutting back on the things that are flashing up on your screen time 
because yeah i think it is yeah. so easy to slip into that and yeah even just doing it for one week it's like when people um go on diets and they do like food diaries and stuff like well what did i actually consume this week compared to what i think i consumed having that more kind of focused approach of well what am i going to do then it's like and that even just having like a, a timer set on your phone so every time you literally for that one week every or one day even like just make that first step take note of every time you're creating and then try and compare them because I think it will be shocking how much people do the opposite that's I really like that yeah I think I'm gonna try that because it's funny because I like that you said the checking the screen time yesterday my phone gave me a notice it gives you like the screen time notices and it said your uh your screen time last week was down 15 percent and I was like that's great and then I looked at it and I still had an average of five and a half hours on my screen every day. And I was like, what was I doing for five and a half hours a day, like staring at this little brick that goes into my phone? Like, surely that five and a half hours a day was not productive the entire time. What, what was I doing? You know, and like, I think that's always tough of, of not having a, an understanding of like where those minutes are going. Like, I'm really particular on my calendar. I try to have like every hour blocked out. And even if it's like an hour of downtime, I put on my calendar an hour of downtime. So that way I can go back and I can see like, what did I actually do on these days? Um, but kind of the same thing with the screen time. Like I don't have that. I don't have that data. Like what was I actually doing for five and a half hours? And if that was down 15% from the week before, then we like, really have a problem, you know? Like, so I think I, I love that idea of, of really gauging how much of that time is being used uh, productively. Or, or at least in the way that, that you want it to be yeah. used. Because when you think about how long it would take to shoot, edit a video, I'm sure you could whack out a few more videos every week if you actually <laughs> Absolutely. That <up>. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I, I think most, most creators are going to be following the people that they look up to and the people that they admire. And I think, I think that is a good tip to, um, to maybe unfollow them, even if it's just for a little while, to... To, to just kind of double check and make sure that you're not being sort of super heavily heavily influenced i i was listening today to a podcast where a couple of comedians were talking about how in the early days how much their act resembled other comedians and how as soon as they stopped watching from the sidelines as other comedians would go up they started dropping mannerisms and things that they would say that they were just picking up and not they weren't even doing it consciously so it, it would be interesting to if, if everyone did sort of have those blinkers on because on my account I don't follow really any artists apart from a couple of like really close friends um, but and and it's difficult because the algorithm still does because I don't follow many people it, it posts up a lot of suggested because it takes me like a few seconds to get through my feed of actual people and then it's like here's suggested posts and it's all a lot of art so I try and kind of switch off at that point to to not keep endlessly scrolling and because I don't want to be shown like what I actually find is I'm then being shown people who I can see have been inspired by me which I which I'll take which is fine rather than the other way around of, of me seeing like oh because mm-hmm. I don't know what I'd do if I looked at my work and sort of saw someone else in it like obviously there's always going to be little bits and I could like there's bits of harrowing and stuff like that that's so ingrained into my body that is always going to be there but it's still very definitely me and and I would hate it if I looked at it and I found like pieces of of that was quite clearly not me and they were clearly someone else so yeah it's a struggle yeah I, the other day um i was i was working with something with hassan and he was like i want to show you something and he was going to show me an instagram post and he pulls out his phone 
and goes to the app store and has to download Instagram and then logs in and then goes to show me. And he's like, yeah, like it doesn't stay on my phone. Like if I need to check something, I download it, I log in, I check it, I delete it, you know, because uh, I know I'm guilty of this. I'm sure we all are. You ever notice how like you just find yourself going through Instagram and you don't even remember picking up your phone and like going to the app. It's just, it's like muscle memory at this point. We just do it. Um, And so finding ways to like put those blockers in front of yourself, because it's easy for us to sit here and be like, don't, don't look at all these, all this art. Don't look at all this other content that you're consuming when it's such a part of like our autopilot every day. Um, So I think kind of like doing an audit of, of where you're consuming, how you're consuming, and then putting these massive roadblocks in the way. Because if you pull up your phone and then realize, oh, you've got to go to the app store and like re-download the app, you want to check something, and then you got to try and remember your login because we never remember what those logins actually are. And like by the time you've gotten there, like you really wanted to get to that end product versus just like killing you know five minutes of time because we don't know what to do with our hands anymore. Do you still have two phones? Um, so I do. However. Uh, in the move I switched over to one phone and I uh, can't find the second phone so as soon as I find it I'm going to go back to my two phone method uh, but I've been on one phone for the last couple months which I will say uh, has not been good for me like I think that's why like the screen time is going up and to give context to anyone who doesn't know the two phone thing um, I over the last uh, like year or so basically had two phones I had like one regular phone that was my my daily like everything I needed um, has my email text call like that's like my business phone productivity phone and then I had a second phone that was fully dedicated to social and it didn't have a sim card it had to be connected to wi-fi and that phone stayed off like out of sight and then that way if I needed to post something or go check something I had to like go find the phone turn it on connected to Wi-Fi, get the app, you know, like just a lot of stuff. Um, and I did notice that during that period of time, it helped massively um, so much to like stay on task. And I just don't know where that phone ended up whenever I was moving. <laughs> it's like an addict, addict who's relapsed here. I know, right? I gotta like, I gotta, <laughs> and that's, that's what really I mean. Like you have to, yeah, you gotta, that's like, you know, you, you're constantly gonna like have to check yourself and like progress is kind of this jagged line upward, right? Um, it's like the crypto market right now. It's like you got to like work to get there. But, you know, it's like one of those things that you, that's a good reminder. Like after we get off this call now, I'm going to go find that phone and be like, all right, I need to get get my shit together and like making sure that I'm consuming the right amount, too, because we all we all slip into those those little like ebbs and flows. I've, I think it's quite interesting that like sort of three successful creatives are sitting here talking about their absolute love of the process and yet still and we like we've we've worked out our why we know what we're doing we're on the right track and we're all producing like work that is well accepted etc etc yet still even though we know it we're still scrolling and we're still doing shit that doesn't serve us and i I think that's that's i mean more of a testament to the power of of social media and and the sort of addictive nature of it um but i i mean really like (laughs) really like we are like we are still producing at the end of the day and i think that's the the bar is like we are still making and we know that we've got improvements to make when it comes to the the shit that's not serving us but um to to anyone who's listening who where it's kind of they're not getting anything done because of the social media then that's what really when you've got to kind of take a look at it because if it's stopping you from achieving then that's like just the worst yeah yeah absolutely 
Um, so, do, do you actually, we talk about loving the process, do you actually enjoy editing? Because I don't think I've ever met anyone who does. <laughs> um, I never enjoyed it at the start. Like, it's, it's re there's probably like 10 plus videos that are sitting on my computer that need to be edited. And I'm like, I just really don't want to edit those at all. Um, usually, once I kind of can get like 20 minutes into it, I'll like find that flow, um, and, and get into it. But, but I mean, if the question is like, do I enjoy editing versus shooting? Like I'm happy to never edit again if I can just go shoot every single day, but it's also, it's just, it's part of it. Right. And I've experimented with like trying to have editors come in and like help just facilitate like getting that, that process rolling having like assistant editors and stuff like that. And it's just never the same. Like for me, at, at least at this stage, maybe I'll figure out in the future how to find that balance of being able to have like an assistant editor. Um, right now, like I have to do it all, but no, I, I don't like the actual technical process of sitting down at a computer and cutting pieces of footage together is, is a process I don't like. Um, but I think it's, it's important to determine like editing versus vision because I think it's, it's really important to remember editing in itself is not a creative pro, uh, create, creative process. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, at its core, you are, at least in video, you are cutting and splicing and layering. Like that is all mechanical. Anyone can do that. Anyone can like press the razor blade tool and make a cut here and make a cut here and move it over. But having a vision in your mind as to what you want that end product to look like and being able to use the tools to achieve that, like that is the creative element. Um, and so it's something like my friend Zach Kravitz, like someone will comment and be like, uh, like such creative editing. And it's like, no, like we had a creative vision, but the edit itself like that is not not that is not the creative piece. So understanding that it's two separate things. Like you can learn Premiere Pro. It doesn't mean you're going to make great videos in the same way that you can have a great vision if you don't learn the tools, you won't be able to execute against it. So like separating those two skill sets I think is is really important. I think it's really important as well and it's it's something that me and Adam have spoken about before is like understanding that not you're not going to love every part of your process because I think this is I think there's a lot of social media again that is is guilty of this. Of, of it puts forward this whole like like um, follow your passion and and do what you love and and if you do what you love you'll never work a day in your life. And it's like no, there's gonna be stuff and it's gonna be really hard. And when I'm painting a portrait outside in the snow, there's a point three or four hours in where I I know I'm making this for a like I. There's a point when I where where I'm like freezing cold and my hands ache and it's like this is not enjoyable, but as a whole overall the process is enjoyable. But there's always going to be those tough parts. And there's so many things that whenever you reach that that level of like professional artist, you think all the problems go away. And you're right. Like I my entire life for the most part is all about being creative and like having fun and making content that I enjoy. However. I'm running a business at this point. So I got to have phone calls with my accountant. I got to send emails that I don't want to send. I got to do logistical stuff. I got to book travel. Like there's so many things that in order for me to like do the work I want to do have nothing to do with creativity or making videos or photos or anything like that. And remembering that like it's, you know, 
when you achieve that level of like when you can like walk away from a day job or whatever understanding that you know you're not just a photographer now now you're the photographer and the business person you know and so like I hate logistics more than anything in the world it's why I like barely passed high school because I just can't like focus on like logistical things that's something I have to learn and it's something I still have to do every single week and I don't enjoy that part of it but it is at the end of the day part of the process and if it's not if I don't sit down and focus on those sections of the work I wouldn't be able to do the things that I actually really love to do and to be able to work on the projects that that I want to work on and I think that's where like life is an overall arcing thing like it's so long and we have so much time to be able to tweak what we're doing because I think like where I'm at currently I feel like I'm I enjoy almost all of what I do because I've kind of realized, yeah, I hate having to travel across town, sort out, okay, what well, needs to get this train, this train, this train. So I basically set myself up with a studio where people come to me. And it's just like, I think you just slowly refine things as you go along. We had an interesting conversation with a, a sculptor recently, and he was kind of talking about the amount that he kind of enjoyed his work, kind of, I think he's in his 40s now. And he was like in his 20s, kind of liked it. Most of what I was doing was kind of for clients. In his 30s, it kind of skewed a bit. In his 40s, it skewed even further. And I think that realizing that what we're doing now isn't the end. It's not like we're just going to be doing what we're doing now forever. It's going to evolve. It's going to get better. Like, there might be stages where David's like, actually, I, I enjoy doing this so much, but I could go and paint this in the snow, or I could travel to LA where it's currently hot and be there at that time. And I think so much, like, we'll kind of, really tweak our lives really little bit like a little bit so not like noticeably kind of over a thing but when you look back you'll be like actually if I look at where I am now compared to where I was like 10 years ago that difference is absolutely huge yeah and that's kind of the other side of the coin right like this whole conversation you know I'm talking a lot about like you could die tomorrow so like make the most of it that you can the other side is like for the most part life is very long And we have a lot of time to accomplish the things that we want to, you know, like as long as everything else works itself out. So it's one of those things that, and that's kind of another reason why, like, I think social media kind of has us all fucked up is that we think if we aren't massively successful by this certain point in time, then like, just like, forget it. It's not worth it versus, you know, like think about the life of like a professional athlete for the most part by like 30, their career's over. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm 27. I feel like I've been... I've been like really working like hard professionally for like six years now. I still have like 40 years of work in front of me. There's a lot of stuff that I have time to do. And so that's why like I think I'm okay with being patient. And over the last year with COVID and things like that, like obviously the world slowed down. I worked on far less projects this year and I could very easily be like, oh my gosh, it's all coming to an end. I'm losing it versus be like, no, it's cool. I have the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year. And I mean, in 10 years, I will have worked, you know, like three of the careers I've lived in the the past five years. And so, um, remembering that like, we don't have to, especially as creatives. I mean, we get our entire lives to build these these bodies of work and to pursue different creative endeavors, um, and so you know, trying to 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 a- achieve some certain level of success in a certain amount of time, um, or to to not be okay with like the the slow days and the down days is just setting ourselves up for failure. Whenever in actuality, like the deck is really stacked in our favor. 
And I think as well as creatives, I feel like it will never end. It's not like we're going to hit an age and retire and then we're going to not be creative anymore. Like, I can't imagine ever not being creative in some form. And I think you'll just, as maybe I get older and my body starts to deteriorate, I'll just do less things that involve running around. But I think there'll always be something that will be there to be creative that you can use all of your past experiences to build upon. There was some like famous artist or something, I don't know, who said that, that a creative career could only exist for like a decade. After a decade, you'd be out of ideas. And that is the biggest load of bullshit I've ever heard in my life. Like whether or not you, you, you might change the medium you work in. Maybe, maybe I'm not going to want to make videos anymore in five years. I don't know. I don't think that's going to be the case, but let's say I don't want to make videos anymore. That doesn't mean I'm going to go get like an office job or I'm going to go be a barista at a coffee shop. Like it's in my DNA to be creative. So maybe, maybe I double down on photography in five years. Maybe I decide I want to be a sculptor and I go and I do a completely new path. Like if you are a creative person, uh, our ability to mold and shape into different creative realms, especially where the world is only going to ever need more art than what it is now. I think right now there's like, it always makes me laugh when we hear these conversations around like, oh, AI is going to take over creative jobs or like some AI like cuts together a movie commercial. I'm like, that's fine. You know how much content needs to be made in the world? You know how much more is going to, it's only going to grow there will only be more work that needs to be made. And so whether or not I'm making videos or photos or I'm, I don't know, like gluing things on the wall outside my apartment, like I will find a way to be creative. And I think that in general, um, if you are talented enough, there will be a way for you to make a living being creative for your life. A hundred percent. And I think if we go back to what we were talking about earlier about the kind of screen time versus the time you're actually creating, most people like almost everyone I imagine in the world is more on the consumption side than on the creating side. So just remembering that, yeah, there is so much room for more creatives because there's so many people consuming. Absolutely. Like there's never as much as like, I will always be like, you gotta be, you gotta do things different to stand out. Cause there's so much noise at the same time, there will never be enough noise to fully block your opportunity to connect with someone. Having done this for, for sort of quite a long time now, I, I guess you have like a good read of knowing what is going to connect. Um, but how do you kind of balance, how do you balance like the work that you really want to make with the work that might go do better <laughs> with the algorithm and stuff? We'll, we'll take like my YouTube channel for an example, which is something that I don't consider myself a YouTuber by any means. And I think you can look at the my fluctuating consistency on how much I dedicate to that platform versus other things um, that it's not like I don't wave the flag of like I am a YouTuber. It is a platform in which I think there is an audience and I can connect there. Um, there are certainly things I can make that I know will resonate more than others, right? Like it, there's a very clear pattern. If you go to a YouTube channel and you sort by most popular, the top five videos are very specific and they all fall into a certain thing. And I can just emulate those as much as I want if my focus was to grow the channel and that to be like the way I make my living. That being said, I would probably, probably be miserable if all I did was make those, right? Like my favorite videos to make are generally the ones that completely bomb, <laughs> but they're far more fulfilling to me, right? Like I... I don't know, like those are the videos that I want to make more of. And so the the balance is, uh, or, or I don't like the word balance, but maybe like the harmony 
is that I first and foremost want to be fulfilled as an artist because if I'm not, then it's going to be impossible for me to keep up everything else. Like if you at, if you at your core are not happy with the work you're making, then doing commissioned work and other branded projects and stuff like that, it's just going to be really difficult to only survive off of those because they're just not making you as happy, right? Um, and so I always first and foremost put myself as an artist first, but then there are moments where I'm like, all right, maybe I got to feed the algorithm a little bit. You know, I got I to gotta give them something to just like build more momentum. Um, and so harmony is what I chase. Like I always try and first make sure that I am super satisfied as an artist and fulfilled as an artist. And then when I have uh, opportunities, I will, will go to pursue things that I think will just work more or like play the game as I call it. Like I think sometimes, um, sometimes you got to play the game. Sometimes you got to you got to give YouTube what it wants, which is maybe YouTube just wants a camera review. Maybe YouTube just wants five tips to be better at this thing, which is like all the videos I feel like I see these days. But like those videos to make aren't exciting for me. Um, and so if I only did those, I'd be miserable. Even if the channel grew exponentially and I was making more money and all those things, I know I would be miserable and therefore there's no real point. Um, so just putting myself like, first as, as a creative and making sure that I'm happy with what I'm making because the flip side is like a major failure. I mean, you guys are both creatives. You're both artists. You make your living with, with art and creativity and doing the thing you're passionate about. If one day you woke up and hated that after you've probably worked so hard to make that your life, you'd be like, what went wrong? Like, this is not right at all. You know? And so for me, like, that's my biggest fear, like to, to have something that I've worked so hard to develop and be my entire life. If I woke up and if I wake up and don't like that anymore, we've got a serious problem that has to be addressed. So making sure that just like my own happiness is always, uh, is always comes first. I was talking to someone earlier today, actually about exactly that and how like so many younger people I speak to, I'm like, oh, so what do you want to kind of do going forward in your career? And I'm like, oh, I'll happily do any of these five, six things because I just want to be doing that. I'm like, but, but you don't want to be doing all of those things because if you take this first role that isn't something you really, really want to do, then your CV is going to look like this is the only thing that you've done. So it's going to be easier to get a job doing that again. And then that next role is going to come up and go, oh, well, maybe I'll just do that as well. And after doing so many things, you're going to end up so far down the route that you didn't want to be heading in the first place that you're then going to be like, well, I don't enjoy this. Like, why have I spent all of my career getting to this point that I don't enjoy? And I think with kind of artists and creatives, you can think about that in terms of your portfolio. It's like, are you doing the work that you want to do more of? Or are you doing things that someone else might want to see? Or you're just doing it because there's a quick paycheck there? And it's tough, right? Like, I... I find that balance too. I, I'm, I'm, and I'm sure you guys are too. Sometimes I have jobs come through that are not exciting, but maybe there's like a larger paycheck attached to it. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I just, I gotta, I gotta just like deal with the thing that I, I don't necessarily love this project. It's not something I am like super excited to do, but if I do this project, maybe it gives me four months where I don't have to worry about money and I can just focus on my thing. That's where like the I always lean more towards like finding harmony versus like the balance of like, I'm okay with maybe putting myself on the back burner for a minute to address something else that in time will pay off and allow for the ball to roll back to me for maybe a longer period of time so that I can do the, the work I care about. I think that's the thing is it's like, what is that money going to go towards? It's like, if you take this job and you're like, oh, sick, I'm going to 
now go and buy like a, some new sneakers or go on holiday or something with it and then you're back to exactly where you were before whereas actually if you're like okay i'm going to take this job and i'm going to use this money for this that's going to allow me to help push me more in the direction i want to be going in and having that mindset as soon as you say yes to that job what is that then going to be used for otherwise it might just kind of disappear off and you won't actually be heading in the direction you want to go yeah yeah i mean i always say like uh you have to create the work you want to be making basically like my so for me um a section of my career i really want to go deeper into is i'm really into cars right i want to do more automotive photography um if i don't start regularly putting out work around automotive photography there's not just going to be one random day where a car manufacturer calls me up and says we'd love for you to do this thing because i'm not putting that work out into the world so in my mind it's always like okay kind of the example you just gave is I'll do a job that maybe fits the work I'm doing right now, but doesn't really excite me. I'll take that money and I'll invest it into a personal project where I create nothing but automotive work for a week. Then I can take that automotive work, put that into the world, and then all of a sudden there will be a change where the jobs that are coming in are automotive work. And that's going to make me more exciting for me than like a, a random strategy job that I don't really care about as much. So like making sure that you're just being smart about that investment, I think is totally right. What you're saying is like, if you're not loving the work you're doing right now, make sure you're investing as much of that money that's coming in as you can into the work you actually do want to be doing, because that's the only way to flip everything and be able to, to make a living off the work you genuinely want to be doing. Dude, uh, it's been absolutely incredible to talk to you. Um, I feel like kindred spirits here. Um, really, really fun chat. What would be your, uh, if you could inject one thing into the brains of our listeners that would uh, help them on their creative journey, what would that one thing be? I would say to circle back around to the idea of Memento Mori, um, that everyone should should sit down no screens in front of you, no music playing, just you and like a blank sheet of paper and write down like five to 10 things in the world that just matter to you. And that doesn't have to be work. Maybe that's family and your art and this thing and this charity and just like the things that matter to you that you want to have a positive impact on, right? I'm always obsessed with this idea of like impact versus influence. I want impact, right? I want like signal in my life. And make sure that you just have a really good idea and understanding of what those five to ten things are because that will will help keep you on track for the direction you need to go and it doesn't mean you have to know every turn along the way sometimes you got to do my thing and just like something random comes and you change directions last minute but as long as you know what those core things you want to impact in the world are that will influence your art in the right direction. Anytime you feel like you are off track, you can come back to those five to 10 things and it will oftentimes right the ship and you'll be able to continue down the path that you were supposed to be on if you get pulled off into other directions. Dude, where can people find you online? Um, just Babin, my last name, B-A-B-I-N. Search that on pretty much any platform and I should be the first one that comes up, hopefully. Um, guys, this was amazing. This was, I haven't done any like conversations in a long time, but it was excited to, to talk with you guys. And uh, I think this was, was really, really great. Absolute gold, mate. Loved it. Thank, Thank you. you so much, dude.